0: Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And we're going to read it aloud again. I liked what we did last week. Okay. So the the I was going to say the lyrics. No, the words are going to come up on the screen. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. 1, 2, 3, read. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God." Isn't that awesome? oh, there's just something about the Word of God. It is living and active and powerful. So that's Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. That's our foundation for the series. But today, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. And this is the text for today. And it says as follows, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Consider Him. That's the title of my message today, Consider Him. In fact, listen to what the Passion Translation says about that scripture. It says, consider carefully how Jesus faced such intense opposition so that you won't become worn down and cave in under life's pressures. I mean, how many of us during life, at some time, we become worn down, and you just want to cave in. Like I cannot go through with this any longer. But the good news is, is the Bible says, consider him. In fact, the Amplified says it like this: to think of him, to consider him, who endured such grievous opposition, so that you, so that uh, against himself and consider it all, reckon it up, add it all up. Think about what Jesus went through, add it up, reckon it. That's an accounting term. You reckon it, you add it up, and consider it all in comparison with your trials. It puts things into perspective. It really does. So the title of our message, like I said, is Consider Him. And today, we're going to consider no one else but Jesus. And the word in this particular scripture, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse three, for consider, listen to this Greek word. I've had Byron train me this week. The Greek word for consider is anolo, a gizema, something along those lines. But what I wanted to say, the, the, the meaning of it is to think over, to ponder, to consider by weighing and comparing. And this place, this word for consider, this particular Greek word, blah, 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 that one, it's the only place that it appears in the Bible. Other words, consider, Greek words, appear throughout the New Testament, but it has a different meaning. This is the only time in the Bible, where, the, where in, in the New Testament, where it uses this particular Greek word, and its emphasis is on compare. We we don't. We consider one another to stir each other to love and good works, like we did last. Last we shared last week. That consider is to think about, but we don't compare ourselves to others. We're not here to compare ourselves, but we are to compare ourselves, the trials that we are going through, with what Jesus endured. So, that's what the Bible is saying, is is going, is encouraging us to do here. That when we become weary and discouraged when we are worn down, when we are caving in under life's pressures to compare ourselves to what Jesus endured. Not just to what he endured, but to how he endured. That's so important. Don't worry about Johnny playing with the speaker there. Let's stay focused. Okay, thanks Johnny for fixing the sound. But let's take a closer look at what he endured. Let's take some time today to look Unto Jesus, to consider him, to consider him. And I've got a whole host of scriptures of who Jesus is. We'll be here till four o'clock this afternoon if we had to go through it all. But I'm just going to rattle off a few of them. First and foremost, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Remember, John the Baptist saw him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Does that sound a bit better? I think it does. Thanks, Johnny. He's our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. If we've accepted him into our lives, he's our Savior. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Remember, we read it in Hebrews 12 this morning. He's the prince of peace. He's the bread of life. The Bible calls, he's the door. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the light of the world. He's the good shepherd. He's the redeemer. He's the cornerstone. We sang it this morning. Christ alone, cornerstone. He's the cornerstone. He's our great high priest. We don't have to go through a priest anymore. Jesus is our great high priest. He's the head of the church. On Friday night, we had 110 people here at the movie night. It was awesome. It was packed in here. And somebody came to Chris and I and said, are you guys in charge? We're like, no, Jesus is in charge. He is the great high priest. We're the under shepherds, that's all we are. But Jesus, he's the head of the church. He's in charge. He's the head of the church. He's the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. He's the mediator. He mediates. He's the mediator between man and God. He's the one who mediates. He's the mediator of the new and better covenant. He's the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Doesn't this just encourage you? This is who he is. Jesus is the word who became flesh and dwelt amongst us in fact he says in Revelation 1 8 he says I am the Alpha and the Omega I am the beginning and the end who is who was and who is to come the Almighty Jesus was God He is God. He always will be God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus, the Son of God, fully God, yet fully man. This Jesus humbled himself. He came to earth in this dusty, poor town of around 500 people, There were about 500 inhabitants and that town, Bethlehem, was being run by a foreign nation. Jesus wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't even born in a hotel room. He wasn't even born in a bedroom. He was born in an animal's feeding trough. There were no clean, sterile conditions. And he walked this earth as a man with parents who were refugees. Basically they were, ref- he had refugee parents. Look at what's going on in the Ukraine. All those women leaving those refugees with their children. Basically that's who Mary and Joseph were who were raising Jesus. They were refugee parents. And the king of Israel was trying to have Jesus killed before he even got out of nappies. Yeah. He, was, he went, But this is who Jesus, this is what he was born into and he went through life in practical obscurity. Nobody even knew him. Nobody cared who he was. The Bible says there was no comeliness about him. There was nothing sort of outwardly beautiful and charismatic about him. The only one who can make Jesus attractive is the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will glorify, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will glorify me, for he will take what is mine, and declare it to you." So this Son of God, Jesus, was born to die in a period where crucifixion was the preferred method of execution. If Jesus had been born a few hundred years before or a few hundred years after, he needn't have been crucified. When you think about it, if he was born in today's world, you know, he could have been beaten to death, he could have been stoned to death, he could have been beheaded, he could have been hanged, shot in a firing squad, lethal injection. It's so much more clinical, it's so much better. But he d- instead, no, Jesus was born at the right time. The Bible says when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. So Jesus born at the right time, in the right place, To lay down his life for you and for me. And we consider him. Consider him. Despite his start and his end in life, he didn't walk around depressed, downbeaten, despondent. Oh, woe is me, I know what's coming up, the cross is coming up. No, the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What is that joy of the cross? It's the most torturous, horrible, horrible death. It's you and I. You and I are the joy that was set before him. So he didn't go around full of depression and despondency. Jesus was full of joy. In fact, frequently throughout the Bible, it says Jesus rejoiced in the spirit. He said in John 15, 11, he says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is Jesus. He wasn't some despondent, depressed individual dreading his crucifixion. No. he In another scripture, he says, ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. So Jesus walked in love, but he also walked in joy. He was joy and victory manifested. That's who he was. He was joy and victory manifested. And I think, I hate watching movies about Jesus. I'm sorry. I hate pictures of Jesus. I hate, no, I don't hate watching movies about Jesus. I love watching movies about Jesus. But I hate the picture that Hollywood has painted of him. You know, they they always, and, and when you see images of Jesus, It's an artist's impression, I get that, and all that type of thing. But they so frequently draw him with these watery blue eyes, looking off into the distance, totally removed from the situation that he's in, or else he's skipping through the tulips of the sheep under his arm. That's not my Jesus. That's not my Jesus. You know, he didn't have those watery blue eyes detached from people and their pain. Hebrews chapter 4, 15 says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Look, look, look what it says in the message. It says, we don't have a priest. Jesus is our high priest. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weaknesses and testing, He's experienced it all. So let's walk right up to him. Last week I shared, I said, let's look him in the eye. Let's look Jesus in the eye. And it's not in arrogance, we're not his equal, but with all humility, let's walk up to, right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy. That's what he's ready to give, mercy. Accept the help. I saw this tweet this week, and it says, instead of standing at some antiseptic distance from our agonies and our failures, he comes to meet us in the very thick of them. He's Emmanuel, God with us, the word who became flesh and dwelt amongst us. This Jesus, consider, consider him. Consider this Jesus, the spotless, sinless Lamb of God, taking your place and mine, laying down his life. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter In other words, he was defenseless. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And he goes on and says, as a sheep before its shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. One of Jesus' characteristics, he says, I'm lowly and meek. What the word meek means is strength under control. Meekness is not weakness. Jesus, even in the crucifixion, Being led as a sheep before its shearers, as a lamb to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. Even in his suffering, even in his death, he was in control. And the Bible says he gave up his spirit. He laid down his life. Nobody took his life from him. He wasn't murdered. He laid down his life, but he was silent. He wasn't helpless. He wasn't a victim. This is who Jesus is. Even under the most extreme circumstances, he kept silent. He didn't open his mouth. Despite the pain, the suffering, the humiliation, he remained silent. Consider him. Consider him. And the word consider means compare. What happens when we face with some opposition, when we are discouraged, when we are faced with opposition, maybe even falsely accused. This week, something happened. I wasn't falsely accused, but there was a connotation of something being said against me. My first response was, right, I'm going to respond to this email. I'm going to have my say. I'm going to defend myself. Chris said, don't do it, don't do it. Holy Spirit said, don't do it, don't do it. So I didn't. I didn't respond. Praise God. Phew, I didn't do it. I did send an email, but it wasn't a defense, you know. So when we're discouraged, when we're falsely accused, but the first thing we want to do is defend ourselves with our words. Proverbs 10, 19 says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking but he who restrains his lips is wise. In fact, the New Living says, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. <laughs> keep your mouth. You didn't think you were going to come to church today and hear these words, say, hey? Keep your mouth shut. James 1:19 says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. There's an old saying, sorry, there's an old saying that says, it is better to remain silent and to be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. In fact, it was Abraham Lincoln who said it. I'll say it again. It's better to remain silent and let everyone think that you're a fool, because you've got nothing to say, than to actually speak and remove all doubt. Mm -hmm. Because the minute we open our mouths, we show what's inside of us, isn't it? There's, a, there's another expression that says, a closed mouth gathers no feet. You can't put your foot in it if it's closed, you know? So, but how many relationships have been damaged? How much harm has been done because we, were, um, because we were slow to listen and quick to speak? It happens, eh? And how many mistakes could have been avoided if we had only listened instead of talk? So we need to be slow to speak, but also to be careful what you listen to. Look at Psalm 1. Psalm 1, verse 1. This is a fantastic psalm. Psalm 1, verse 1. says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the regression. Of the, of, the, of the scornful. Notice the regression. Sorry, I read my word. But notice the regression. First of all, you start off walking in the counsel of the ungodly. And you know, I don't know if you, you, you've ever been in this experience where you're walking with somebody and you're talking. And then when this conversation starts getting a little bit more intense, more detailed, you stop walking and you start standing. And that's what the scripture's saying. Blessed is a man who walks not, walks not in that council, then stands in the path of sinners. We're going to go into detail now about this situation. And then you land up sitting in the seat of the scornful. And now we're going to unpack this whole situation with the ungodly. We've got to be careful who we, who we, who we talk to but about the kinds of people we, 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 we spend time listening to. But the Psalm 1 there warns us, don't listen to these people. Don't engage with them, and I'll take it. I'll, tell, I'll take it one step further. Not just the ungodly. Maybe a Christian. Sorry, but be careful who you speak to. You know what? There are many Christians who are bitter, angry, offended, backbiters, and gossips. There, I said it, and I'm not saying it in a harsh. No, I am. I'm saying it in a harsh way. It's time to grow up. It's time to conform to the image of Jesus. That's that's our that's our highest calling. We can't, there's no place for bitterness. There's no place for slander. There's no gay place for gossip in the body of Christ. But there, it does exist. So be careful who you're engaging with. He says, don't cons- don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't walk in the ungodly's counsel. Don't allow their counsel to be your guiding influence that shapes your life. You know, sometimes we go to other Christians, and sometimes they're well-meaning, they could be well-meaning, they could be lovely, lovely people, but they have a limited understanding of the ways in the word of God. You've got to choose who you go to, choose who you go to. Is there fruit in that person's life? The person that you're going to, is there fruit in their life, or is there bitterness? Are, are they slanderous? Are they gossiping? You know, and, and it's so important, who do you have speaking into your life? Who do you have speaking into your life? I don't want people speaking into my life, people that are just gonna say, yes, amen, that's it, I agree, the people that are speaking into my life. I put myself into situations where I have people speaking into my life. They dictate, they don't dictate, but they encourage me to take the right direction, and they will correct me, they will correct me, and they do it, and sometimes it's painful, no, I don't want to hear that. But I need to hear it. So who have you got speaking into your life? Don't just surround yourself with yes men. Don't just surround yourself when people say, you know, this is this is who I am, and everybody, oh well, that's good for you, my brother, my sister. No, and don't just get get around people that are going to agree with you in your pity party. Don't do that. I don't want to join anybody's pity party. I'll, I'll try and help someone as much as I can, but as much as they're willing to receive. So, go to someone who will encourage you in the Lord, in your walk with the Lord. Go to that person, someone with a track record. You know what? If you're experiencing marriage difficulties, don't go to a single person for marital advice. Or don't go to Elizabeth Taylor, you know, or her nemesis, whoever it might be nowadays. She's been divorced 10 times. Don't go to someone. Go to someone who's got fruit in their life where there's fruit. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Jesus had his close disciples, Peter, James, and John, those three. He had the twelve, but he had the three in in his inner circle. He had those three, but his relationship was with the Father. His relationship was with God, and the Bible says he often withdrew to a lonely place, to a quiet place, to spend time alone with the Father, to listen to the Father, to listen to him, to say the things the Father said, to do the things the Father told him to do. You know, just yesterday I read John 17. It's a well-known scripture. It's known as Jesus's high priestly prayer. It's when he prays to the Father, and it's it's written down. It's all the words are in red, and it's Jesus' high priestly prayer. Jesus is praying for us as believers and he's speaking to the Father. And I encourage you this week, read John 17. But it's not so much the content. The content is very important. But listen, just listen to the intimate tones. When, when God, Jesus' relationship with the Father. as as, as he's praying this high priestly prayer to, to, to God the Father, listen to the intimate tones between Jesus and the Father. And we need to do the same. We need to go to the throne, not to the phone, but give Jesus room in your life Give to speak words of encouragement, to speak words of joy, words of victory, words of life into you, and lean into him. Give him time give him time. Listen to him. I'm not saying you hear a voice, okay? That's not what I'm saying. Listen to the quietness of your heart. Listen to what Jesus is saying. Consider him. When you're faced with a situation, consider him. Compare what you're going through to what Jesus went through, and how did Jesus respond in the midst of that trial, in the midst of that crucifixion process? How did Jesus respond? but consider him. To consider means it takes time. It's like making a decision. When you've got to make an important decision, you consider it, you think about it, you weigh up the pros and cons. I'll give you an example of somebody who did that, my husband, the day he got born again. He got born again in a flat in Johannesburg on his own, and he sat, somebody had been witnessing to him at work, and he sat down, he got home from work, and he sat down with a pen and paper and you wrote down the pros and you wrote down the cons. If I serve Jesus, if I give my heart to Jesus this day, these are the pros, these are the cons. And you said, okay, Jesus, I choose you. And that's how you got saved. Oh, I just think it's so awesome. But it was considering. Consider. Consider the pros and cons. Weigh up the pros and cons. Think about the options. But it takes time. Let's not be hasty. Let's not be foolish with our words, with our actions. You know, people can come against you. They can get in your face. They can can come against you. But just because this happens, it doesn't make you a loser. It doesn't make you that you're a failure in any way. Just be slow to speak. Be slow to respond. And just looking back at the rest of Jesus' life, Jesus didn't only endure hostility on the cross but throughout his earthly ministry. The the people that were against him the most were the teachers of the law, the Pharisees. They were the ones attacking him when he was in his earthly ministry. And they should have come out and said, wow, Jesus, you're the fulfillment of all that's been promised. Look at all the great things you're doing. You're healing the sick, you're raising the dead. Wow, Jesus, awesome. No, what did they do? They said, you're a child of the devil. You cast out demons by Beelzebub, the lord of the flesh, devil, Satan himself. That's who they, what they said about Jesus. Jesus, he wasn't received in his own hometown, his own folk, his own kinsfolk, not, you know, the, his friends and people that he grew up with. The Bible says he could do no mighty work there. Why? Wow, they became over-familiar. They just didn't accept that he could do any mighty work. It was their unbelief that caused Jesus could do no mighty work, the Bible says, in his own hometown, except heal a few sick folk. That's all he could do because of their unbelief, because, of their unfamiliar, because they were familiar with Jesus. Let's not become familiar. Let's not become familiar with God and think we're doing okay. It's like that spiritual MOT again. How am I weighing up? How am I weighing up in the, midst of my, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of this trial? Am I listening? Am I listening to the voice of God? Jesus encountered so much hostility throughout his ministry, whether it was the religious leaders of the day, whether it was his own neighbors, or even the crowds shouting, crucify him, crucify him, the son of God. And the same happens for us. Just because you're serving God, maybe you're doing the will of God, doesn't mean you're in for an easy ride. When people are hostile to you, it can alienate you. It it becomes personal. It's very personal if people are hostile towards you. Maybe you feel like you're failing, and like you want to retreat back into yourself, go back into lockdown. In South Africa, we call it a crawl mentality you know, a crawl is where the ox wagon would form this little um, grouping, and you just want to hunker down, go into a fort mentality. That's what happens sometimes when people are hostile. But the Bible says, consider him. Consider him. So when you're weary, when you're discouraged, consider, consider Jesus. When, when Jesus, when he was faced with unbelief, opposition, hostility, rejection, even from his own disciples. His own disciples turned their back on him. Jesus didn't melt down into a total decline and act depressed for days on end. He went to the Father. He went to the Father. He considered his Father. He only did and said what the Father said for him to do and say. He had that close, intimate relationship with the Father. So if you're facing discouragement, it's important what you do consider and what you don't consider. And don't consider other people's opinions. Something that, I don't know if it's just the world we live in, but everybody has an opinion about everything. And they are quick to tell you their opinion about everything. But let's rather just I mean, we're not going to say, look, I'm not listening to anything anyone's telling me. But let's consider when it comes to the important things in life, Mm -hmm. consider Jesus. So, Psalm 1, we go back to verse 1 and 2. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Verse 2 But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in His law, He meditates day and night. I have read the scripture. I can quote the scripture. I know the scripture so well. But this morning, I got a revelation on it. I got an actual revelation. In His law, He meditates day and night. That doesn't mean that we walk around with our Bibles like a bunch of space cadets and um, you know and meditate and meditate and meditate on the law of God. That's not what it means. What it means to meditate on the law of God means allow this word, this word to become flesh and dwell within you. That you don't have to say, This is the situation that I'm in. This is the situation. These are my options. Lord, what do you want me to? I don't have to go now, and say, Lord, when this happens now, where do I what do I do? No, allow this word to become flesh in your life. Jesus was the word and he became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We must allow this word to meditate on his Lord day and night. Means you just become one with the word. And that's what Jesus' high priestly prayer was. Jesus make them one as we are one. I in you and you in me and they in me. We're in Christ. Become one with him. So delight, delight in the law of the Lord. To delight, when you delight in something, you consider it beautiful or luxurious. Let's consider this word, beautiful. It's a luxury we can't afford to go, we cannot go without. We cannot afford to go without this word. Consider it luxurious. Consider it a a source of great satisfaction. Especially when it's in you especially when it's in you. Not just that you know it up here in your head, Fred. It's got to drop the 18 inches, and when it becomes part of you, becomes part of you, something to be enjoyed. This is how we consider Jesus. This is how we consider him. Listen to what it says in James 1.25. It says, But he who looks, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, that word looks, means to stoop down with the body bent, looks carefully into it. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty, there's freedom, there is freedom. The word brings freedom and continues in it. And is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in all that he does. We've got to look into the word. Look into the word. Continue in it. Don't just look. Okay, I've looked, and I've ticked the box. That's not what it's about. It's about looking into the Word. Go read Psalm 139. See what God says about you, how he loves you, how perfectly he's made you. Let that encourage you. I'm not weird. There's not something wrong with me. No, he's made me perfectly and wonderfully and fearfully. Start reading it, rejoicing in it. You know, when we're going through a trial, so often we think, I've just got to escape it. I've got to go into that crawl mentality. I've got to just go and into lockdown. I want to go and look at a sunset. Yes, hallelujah. Now if you're all nice and mystical and sweet. Now, you know, that's good, that's nice. And a sunset or a scene, a quiet stream, you know, when you're walking beside, or you're looking at sheep or horses or something, beautiful scenes. That can calm your soul. But that's not not what we do. That's not all we do. Allow that scene to calm you down. But what we do is consider Jesus. Consider him. What's his word say? When you're in the midst of that storm, develop your understanding, your knowledge of God. Meditate on the word. Give yourself to the word. Give yourself to it. What is Jesus saying to you today through his word? And Psalm 1 verse verse 3 goes on with the result. When we do this, look at the result. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in season. You will live a fruitful life. When we consider Jesus, when we walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor nor stand in the seat of sinners, nor sit amongst the scornful, when we delight ourselves in the law of the Lord, meditate on it, allow the word to become flesh in our hearts, then we'll prosper. Whatever we do, it finishes that. Whatever he does shall prosper. We will be fruitful and prosperous. So amen. Praise God. So today, maybe you're feeling weary. Maybe you're feeling discouraged. I'm going to close with the scripture from from Isaiah 40, verse 28 to 31. Allow this word to just minister to you. In fact, close your eyes. Listen to the scripture. Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord The creator of the ends of the earth, he neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Praise God. Father, I just thank you that as we wait on you, Lord, that as we delight ourselves in you, as as the word becomes flesh in our lives, Lord, that we can consider you. We consider you, Jesus, the Lamb of God, our Savior, our Messiah, our High Priest thank you, Lord. You are the door. You are the light of the world. You are our strength. You are our portion. You are our inheritance. Lord, and we love you today. And Lord, I just pray for every person here within the sound of my voice. I thank you, Lord God, that you encourage them, that you strengthen them with all might in their inner man, Father God. And I thank you for that, Lord, that we can consider Jesus, the high priest, Our great high priest, we consider you today. In Jesus' mighty name.